Planet Pod, essential listening for everyone who cares about the planet. Hello and welcome to Planet Pod with me, Amanda Carpenter. It's 2022 and we've had a Christmas break and we're back fighting fit and eager to share a new season of Planet Pod episodes in which we'll discuss the environmental issues that matter to us all, to our communities, to our country, to our leaders, uh, to our listeners, and more importantly, to the planet. And today we're discussing an incredibly important and potentially life-changing piece of legislation that's being debated in the House of Lords this January and what it will mean for citizens' rights and more importantly, for climate justice. From XR to Fridays for the Future, for our global days of action and the tunnel dwellers opposing HS2, climate protest, loud and vocal and passionate, has been a feature of the last few years. Yet if the proposed amendments to the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill go through, these protests could be banned, those taking part could be criminalised and many could face arrest and imprisonment. This feels serious, and indeed it is, so it's a huge pleasure to welcome my guests to discuss this bill and the wider issues of climate action. Estelle Dehon, a leading public lawyer from Cornerstone Barristers, has particular experience in climate change and net zero environmental law and planning. She also practices in election and human rights law. She's a friend of Planet Pod, and we're delighted to be able to welcome her back and to congratulate her on being invited to take Silk to become a QC. So Estelle, lovely to see you and thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much, Amanda. And I'm very delighted to be on your first pod of 2022. And hopefully not the last of 2022. I feel we're going to have a lot of things to talk about this year. Our second guest, Liam Norton, is a campaigner and spokesperson for Insulate Britain and has been working full time in the last year on this campaign, though doesn't necessarily come from a campaigning background. So, Liam, welcome to Planet Pod and thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah, it's lovely to be here. So I guess we should start with the bill. Estelle, for those people who haven't heard of it, though I'm, I find that difficult to believe, if they haven't heard of it and they don't know what it means, could you maybe just outline what is happening and what some of the main issues are for us? Um, yes, absolutely. So there's really two stages to this story. Um, and the, the bill uh, deals with lots of different things all at the same time. So it's a series of amendments to lots of other different types of legislation, some of which have nothing to do with protest and are fantastic. So, for example, there's bits in the bill about um, criminalising hair coursing. Happy days. We love that. But there's other bits in the bill that are specifically designed to amend pieces of legislation that affect the right to protest. And there's two stages to what's happened. Um, So early on in um, the bill being put forward, um, it was made absolutely clear in the government's own explanatory memorandum um, that the bill was designed to deal with the sorts of protests that were uh, that we saw um, with Extinction Rebellion, in particular the April 2019 uprising. And the bill explicitly says that it is dealing with protests where people are not primarily violent or seriously disorderly, but they have an avowed attempt to disrupt and also to affect policing. And a lot of what's talked about as a result of that is the cost of policing these sorts of protests. Um, The cost in the bill's own fact sheet refers to 16 million pounds worth of costs in policing XR. Of course, it doesn't refer to other areas where there's lots of policing, which we don't seem to mind about. For example, the cost of policing football in a year tends to be around 48 million pounds. Uh, but that hasn't resulted in the same sorts of actions. So then there's two things that happened with the bill. The bill was put in place and it introduced a new um, criminalisation of protest 
where there would be serious noise disruption to activities being carried out in the vicinity of the protest. And that's a protest which would be a march type protest or a protest which would be a group type protest. And that um, idea of causing um, serious noise impact included um, causing serious unease to people. Unease was not defined, but it could be defined by um, legislation that is put forward just by the Secretary of State without um, any parliamentary oversight of that definition. And that sort of um, criminalization of the protest might result in um, organizers or participants um, looking at three to six months in prison or a, a fine of up to £2,000. That was then followed late last year uh, by introduction by the Secretary of State without any debate after the bill had passed through the Commons into the House of Lords of three extraordinary amendments, in my view. In, and, and I know I've been speaking for a long time, but I, I just want to say I grew up in South Africa in the apartheid state. And had the South African government proposed legislation like this, it would have been called properly draconian. But here we are in 2022 in the United Kingdom, looking at the potential for a new offence of protest where a person attaches themselves to another person, object or land, or coming equipped to do such attaching. And the police being given the power without any suspicion to stop and search in certain areas anybody who might be coming equipped for such protest and a new offence of obstructing major transport works and obstructing a highway. And finally, the potential for individuals who've not been convicted of any crime but who um, have had some sort of protest-related um, activity being made subject to what's proposed to be a serious disruption prevention order. And they can um, be prevented from taking action for a number of years. So in my view, in a country which still has a right to freedom of expression and an explicit right to protest, uh, th this is a very worrying turn of events indeed. Estelle, it's slightly shocking listening to you say that on a kind of frosty Monday morning in such a neutral and clear way, because if you really think through the implications of what you've just said, particularly that point about individuals who've been involved in action before, am I right in thinking that anyone who perhaps took part in, say, an anti-Brexit march or even a pro-Brexit march and then posted um, activity on their own social media feed um, on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever could be deemed to be in that category where they might be subject to the sorts of, of regulations and restrictions that you've just mentioned. So, you know, those of us who were on any of those marches and have taken pictures of ourselves with banners, does that mean that we are in that category with those sorts of people and we could be prevented from protesting in the future? Potentially. I mean, the, the wording of the proposed um, bill is so broad that that's the thing that is the greatest alarm. It, to put aside that this is an obvious attempt to address certain types of protests, and I want to say something about that a bit later on, but put that aside, that the, the wording is so broad that it's clear that actions which 
individuals across the political spectrum for many, many different types of causes, causes on the right of the political spectrum, causes on the left of the political spectrum, and everything in between, have often used. It, it's absolutely clear that they, those sorts of people, if they repeatedly undertake that sort of protest action, which is not uncommon these days, they could be at risk of being made subject to serious disruption prevention orders. And that, as I, as I want to emphasise, is without them having ever been convicted of any sort of public order criminal offence at all. So some of the um, comments that, that we're seeing in response to this bill, and, and I have to say what's been, for me, particularly frightening is the enormous lack of protest about the bill itself, about the uh, commentary. I mean, you know, if, if you read in a left-wing press, then you'll have seen articles about it. And if you follow um, Green and other campaign um, groups, you probably would have seen calls to action. But on the whole, it doesn't seem to have got anything like the scrutiny and the, and the commentary that perhaps it needs. I mean, what I find, you know, really extraordinary is that that it, it, this is going to affect all of us and I think could probably be described as being akin to a police state. Now, that sounds like a rather extreme comment, but but the fact that we could be, you know, arrested for carrying a placard or stopped and searched and then possibly arrested for carrying a placard on our way to a peaceful protest Um be it, you know, a, a nurse protesting about, you know, lack of PPE or a, or, a, or a, a, an academic protesting about lack of pensions. I mean, that does seem to be akin to a police state, or am I overstating that? I don't think you are overstating that. I think those those sorts of descriptions are, are always difficult. But I I always ask myself this question. If this was a piece of legislation proposed in an African country, what would we be saying about it? And I think people would be very happy to use the terms draconian police state for these sorts of provisions if they were situated in a different context. And the fact that they're situated in this context and that the provisions have been introduced in a way which has minimized discussion of them uh, it, it, it causes even more concern. Mm. And as, as you've mentioned, you know, there has been some um, media about this, there's been some um, protest, if I can put it like that, uh, in trying to stop this bill. And there's starting to be action around the potential for these clauses to be defeated in the House of Lords. And this is an important week for that. Um, but it is quite surprising to me in a country which has a very long history of strong protest action and using exactly these forms of protest. You know, the suffragists used lock-on to uh, gain votes for women. We've seen sit-down protests, um, anti-war protests. Uh, We've seen all sorts of um, blocking of roads for all sorts of anti-nuclear protests way back in the 60s and 70s. This is a long history of protest in this country, um, which is being sought to be targeted. And not just for, uh, quote unquote, political issues um, like the right to vote or, um, you know, the uh, anti-war or anti-nuclear. If you think about labour protests, the right to strike, the right to take action um, against employers, If you're a trade union and you're suggesting that your members stand outside a building and lock arms in order to protest against whatever the employer is doing, 
That is front and centre at issue in this bill. I'm slightly lost for words, actually, because it's a rather terrifying picture that you've painted. And I'd like to bring Liam in because obviously, I suppose we could say the particular clause about targeting infrastructure and roads and things could possibly have been prompted by the actions of of Insulate Britain. And um, it seems to me to be a very focused attempt to prevent groups such as as Liam's from doing what they legitimately should be allowed to do. So, So Liam, tell us, first of all, how worried are you by what Estelle has just said? And do you think that will affect the way that you and your members take action in the future? Yeah, I think um, obviously there's a pattern. I mean, if you look worldwide, there's a pattern of authoritarianism. We're seeing it globally. Um, We're seeing it in Kazakhstan at the moment. Like there's a big crackdown. I mean, it's been a dictatorship for a long time, but we're seeing a pattern of citizens kind of like going into civil resistance at the moment all over the world. So there's a pattern happening globally. I I think like for me, where, where it's worrying is... for me personally is like the police powers I haven't actually looked into it too closely um but like it's you know what Estelle was saying about the 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 pre-arrest and some of the stuff that they can do in terms of what you're doing on the internet um and I think what it does is gives the police powers to pre-arrest potentially significant organizers of certain things and that can potentially be quite useful to the state because obviously there's certain influential people that organize um campaigns such as xrs in uh back in 2019 um well since 2019 and also insulate britain so there's certain worrying things there i think for me personally the bill doesn't change anything because where we are at at this point in history is a kind of completely different paradigm to the one that we've been in over the last few hundred years, where rights and protest um, and all these sorts of things have obviously been incredibly important in terms of giving uh, people um, in the UK at least certain rights as to how they, uh, you know, the the, the life that they live and uh, what rights they have at work. Um, and what rights they have in society, etc. Um, but where we're at now is a completely different situation in terms of the physics of our world, really. And, and obviously what we've been saying in Insulate Britain is uh, this quote from Sir David King, the former chief scientific advisor to the British government. And what he said earlier on last year was that uh, what we, we need to move rapidly. What we do in the next three to four years will determine the future of humanity. So what's he saying there? Well, what he's saying is is that the game's up in terms of um, where we're at in the climate. There's no more, he also said, there's no more carbon budget left to burn, which means that all this discussion that happened at COP of um, 2050 um, and how much carbon each country can burn is a complete fraud, basically, because we're already hitting tipping points in the Arctic and in the Amazon and in Greenland at the current temperatures of 1.2 degrees. And 1.5 degrees is locked in. In terms of the carbon lag, it takes 10 years for the carbon that we put into the atmosphere now to affect climate in 10 years' time. So 1.5 is locked in. Any talk of staying below that is, again, another fraud. And so basically what is going to happen over the next 10 to 20 years 
is that billions of people are going to be displaced in various parts of the world. And that's going to affect the economy. The economy is going to collapse. People's pensions are going to collapse. People's house values are going to collapse. Everything that we kind of know and think is like this normal society is going to disintegrate. So what this police crime and sentencing bill is governments are starting to become aware that citizens are becoming uncontrollable, right? So, so this is like a regime's attempt to try and claw back some control in terms, because they know that what groups like Insulate Britain did last year, people, are, those numbers of people that do things like that are only going to increase, right? And the reason they're going to increase is because this physical reality of higher temperatures is locked in and the effects of that um, in terms of political effects is also locked in and they know it, right? They know that this is going to happen. And my kind of final, my thing that I think about this is that Insulate Britain was never about protest and neither was the rebellions of Extinction Rebellion back in 2019, uh, April and October. That was not protest. What that was was civil resistance, right? And this is what some of the lawyers that deal with my cases and and that deal with us, um, they don't kind of understand it, that we are going into civil resistance against this uh, government. And the reason is, is because of their criminal negligence in terms of what they are, uh, their inaction of, of what they're allowing to happen to their citizens at this current point in history. And whether this bill goes through or not, it doesn't change the fact that certain people in this country need to step up to their responsibilities of what it means to be a citizen at this time. And what it means is, is that you have to go into civil resistance of the kind that has been shown by Extinction Rebellion and Insulate Britain. That means you have to break the law. You know, you have to sit in the road, you have to get arrested, you have to risk prison. And what it means is thousands of people will have to do it until it, and because what ultimately we're talking about here is power. And what we need to convince enough UK citizens to do is that they do not have to roll over and accept this criminality that's going on at the highest levels of our government. And we have more power collectively than we can ever imagine. We could change this system tomorrow if enough of us were willing to oppose this system. And and, and that means sort of going into, into civil resistance. So it's a slightly different paradigm to, you know, the great example is the million people that marched um, against the Iraq war once, and then the government completely ignored it. Why did they ignore it? Because those million people didn't stay there for 10 days. That's the important point here. What you need to do is you need to stop the system from running for a long enough amount of time so that the power tips in your favour. But Liam, you, you Insulate Britain didn't come about as a civil resistance movement, did it? I mean, it came about because a group of citizens, concerned citizens, had seen the impact of climate change, just as you've described, had, had were aware of the needs for, for things, things to be done. And, and it seems to me your primary call was for better insulation for social housing, which, which you know, not just wishing to um, belittle cause, isn't quite as dramatic as votes for women, is it? Or, mm. or, or anti-Iraq war. I mean, it's quite a simple, practical 
you know, almost no brainer request of a government that you provide properly insulated homes for people to live in and prevent fuel poverty and reduce climate change. So, so your primary your primary driver at that point was was around insulation, wasn't it? And calling for that. Has it has it changed into this bigger resistance movement as a result of what's happened to the protesters who've been sitting on the roads and have been arrested? Are the two things becoming conflated or is it just that you personally are going on a slightly different journey now you've discovered, you know, the, the power of resistance, as it were? Yeah, well, it depends how you look at it, doesn't it? Because the, the government, you know, there's various statistics. I mean, E3G, they're a think tank um, that do lots of good research on climate and other stuff. Mm. And they, they, they predict around 9,700 elderly people freeze to death in their homes each winter because they can't afford to heat their homes. Now, in my mind, the whole country should be on the motorway at that because it's an absolute disgrace. And we've got uh, the the government's own statistics say that there are 3.2 million households that are fuel poor. That means there's millions of kids whose mum and dads or whoever looks after them have to like make that awful decision between putting the heat on or feeding their kids properly. Again, that is an absolute disgrace. We should all be on the motorways about it. This episode of Planet Pod is supported by leading international law firm Evershed Sutherland. Can I just bring you back to the motorways for a minute, though, because I think this is really important, because why did you choose to sit on motorways? I mean, it's a spectacularly successful tactic because we all heard about you overnight. And if you went anywhere around a motorway in the run up to Christmas, every single bridge had a policeman on it, you know, presumably to stop you guys sitting on them. Um, Why did you choose motorways and how many of your members have been arrested as a result of some of that action? Yeah, well, well, I was going to go on to talk about the civil resistance aspect of it. So what we were trying to do, we knew we couldn't do it with the numbers that we had to begin with, which is around 100 people. The idea was to sort of bring people in. Um, It worked to a certain extent. We brought some in, but not necessarily to the numbers that we thought. What we were thinking was that um, that we would sit on the road two to three times and the disruption would be... Uh, bad enough that the the, the, the authorities would be for, forced to remand us in prison. Now, the idea is, is that there's a figure, right? There's always a number, right? And, and this is the, this is the point. It's like in, in April, 2019, what we think is potentially three to 4,000 arrests and you be, and you can force the, the system to negotiate with you, right? Because you've got the power. Now, what we believed was, or what we were throwing the dice was that if if we could get two to three hundred people in prison, then potentially we could force them to sort of start to negotiate in terms of some kind of um, legislative change uh, on the demand that we were we were asking for. In the end, we kind of did, didn't get it. And the reason, one of the reasons, was is the state called our bluff, right? So this is the other thing that, that that's important to to remember when you're talking about the law. The law is only there when it becomes useful. You know, there are also other things. There are political interpretations to the law that go on. And the, the what the state said was, look, they, they're not quite causing enough disruption for us to snap and imprison us. Because if 100 people were put in prison, it would create this huge 
wave of public response. There hasn't been 100 people put into prison for activism in, in British modern history. So it would have been this huge thing. So they called our bluff. Now, what they what they assessed was, this is my belief, is that if we let them carry on, it will peter down in a couple of weeks. And what how we'll do that is we'll get the media to sort of create this huge storm where we'll talk about ambulances and stroke victims. And what they'll do is they'll retreat. And what we found was we had a group of people that were so committed, they, they said, no, we're not retreating and we're going to carry on. And what I think the state kind of misjudged is the commit, the, how committed we would be. And we went on for seven weeks and, be, um, you know, we, we left the road for 10 days and we got more press coverage when we weren't on the road than, than when we were, you know. The reason we chose the motorways is that we knew that we had a, a quite a small number of people. And what you need to do in order to, to have this huge effect in a campaign is be unbelievably daring. We needed to be unbelievably um, transgressive in, in what it was that we were doing. You have to be daring. And the other idea that we also had that we were inspired by this Freedom Riders campaign in the 60s in America, this really small group of people that went on interstate buses in the 60s um, and challenged segregation. And a really small number of people challenged segregation in the Deep South and they won. Right. It's an amazing story. So what they had this idea is to go into the, the, the southern way of life, which was the racism that was happening in America at that time. And what we had this idea is the M25 is symbolic of the carbon way of life, of how we're living, you know, the how everybody's entrapped in this system. Um, and we went into the to the belly of the beast, as it were, in the same way that um, the Freedom Riders did back in the 60s. Thank you. That's Estelle, right. um, I think what Liam's just done is painted a picture of, of kind of passion and commitment to change and to protest. How powerful then is the bill at, at just deterring people? Because as he's just said, you know, we wanted 100 people arrested and I think you got eight or nine, didn't you? And and we look at the arrests that were made at XR. They sounded like a lot, but quite a lot of them haven't ever no, been we, processed. Just, 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 to, just to correct you, no, we got, we had around 100, 174 people took part and we had around eight to 900 arrests. They've only put in people into prison, nine people into prison. But we had 900 arrests with around 150 people. Oh, so people frequently being arrested and re-arrested. They were getting repeatedly arrested. But, yeah, but not charged and not imprisoned. Okay. Not charged okay. and not put in prison, yeah. So so, so do you think, Estelle, is there a... It, and I'll just try ascribe motives to the Secretary of State because that would be difficult, wouldn't it? But do you think that, um, you know, the Home Secretary, but do you think there's a thing that if we make it hard enough and draconian enough, people just won't bother, they'll be too frightened to even try. And actually, you know, put in place all of these amendments, you know, and and people will say, oh, no, I can't possibly do that. So what they'll do is we'll all just passively go away and and people won't put themselves at risk. Or, or, or do you think there is a possibility that we could get to a situation like Liam where we've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people being arrested all over the country day in, day out for protesting and clogging up the courts and possibly making their voice heard in a much more powerful way as a result of doing that? So could it really almost work in reverse, if you like, the, for the intention of the bill? It would actually just provoke us into to clogging up the court system. I think there's there's two different things going on with the bill. And uh, as Liam pointed out, uh, civil resistance, which I'll talk about in a second, 
um, is a slightly different thing. It is a form of protest. It's, it's a venerable form of protest. It's, it's one of the forms of protest the suffragettes used. Uh, but it is, it's a slightly, to, it's, it's a specific thing. Taking a step back, I think the bill and the fact that um, a lot of the uh, potential sentencing that is being introduced into the bill for the first time includes imprisonment for up to 51 weeks. And you see that throughout the bill in different areas and this this new level of, of sentencing. The fact that imprisonment has been introduced um, is a clear attempt, in my view, to dissuade the sorts of protesters who aren't looking at civil disobedience or, or civil resistance, but are um, you know, feel that they need to be out on the streets and they need to do something. And they're willing to take that sort of action, but they would not, for example, be willing to go as far as civil resistance. And the fact that um, the simple actions of, for example, um, linking arms um, or holding on to some sort of object um, or standing in, in a road, not necessarily sitting in the middle of the M25, but standing in a road, um, could potentially give rise to in not just a fine but imprisonment, I think is designed to dissuade large-scale protests of the sort that we've seen, um, for example, um, by XR and um, by young people in Fridays for, for Future. Mm. Uh, so I think there is an attempt at that. And I think to deal with the civil resistance element, um, which Liam was talking about, uh, I think that's where we're looking at the serious disruption prevention orders. Um, because I think this um, essentially a civil attempt, it, it's, it's, it's like an ASBO for protesters, really. It's a civil attempt to prevent um, individuals um, for a, a, a long period of time from undertaking certain types of protest. It widens out the powers of the state against individuals in a way that it is, I, I think is likely um, to dissuade certain individuals, even if they are thinking that they would be willing um, to be arrested or be imprisoned um, for their actions. And the key thing that it does, which Liam touched on, is that it targets those who are organising. Mm. And it seeks to prevent them from being able to undertake any such organising for long periods of time. So I think the bill is aimed at um, two different types of protesting and addressing that to those two different types of protesting. Um, I mentioned a bit earlier in my answer to you, Amanda, that I wanted to talk about what the courts have previously said about protest. And something really jumped out at me was um, in, in a seminar that, that was put together. And I'll give a shout out to my colleagues in a, in a chambers called Garden Court Chambers, who deal with a lot with protest matters. And they had this really interesting um, seminar on, um, on the bill. And they were talking about um, two important things. The first is that the courts have recognised that sometimes the way in which a protest is undertaken is the protest. That is the important thing about it. So if, for example, you prevent people from locking on to lorries or you prevent people from slow walking, in front of, you know, lorries bringing in fracking machinery, or if you prevent people from sitting on the M25, that is preventing 
the protest. And the courts have recognised that it's the, the method of protest can be as important or can be the way that you are exercising your freedom of expression. And the second thing which really jumped out at me um, was that one of the key cases where this was recognised um, was a, a case where the Secretary of State in 2009, well, a bit earlier than that, but the case was 2009, tried to introduce bylaws to get rid of the Aldermaston Women's Peace Camp. So a very long-lasting um, protest uh, where women camped in um, to protest against nuclear weapons and war. And there was an attempt to introduce a, a bylaw which would um, sweep away the protest camp. And that was challenged in the courts, and successfully so. And the Court of Appeal, in the form of Lord Justice Laws, who was, um, in, in a different guise, he spoke, for example, against Strasbourg decisions being um, implemented in the United Kingdom as precedent. So this is not a person who you would imagine as a great lefty lawyer to um, coin a phrase. Lord Justice Laws said of protest that rights that are worth having are, quote, unruly things. Demonstrations and protests are liable to be a nuisance. They are liable to be inconvenient and tiresome, or at least perceived as such by others who are out of sympathy with them. But he went on to say, whether or not the cause is wrong-headed or misconceived is neither here nor there. And if their activities are inconvenient or tiresome is neither here nor there. The Secretary of State's shoulders are surely broad enough to cope, said this judge. And it seems that we have moved into an era in the United Kingdom where the Secretary of State's shoulders are not broad enough to cope. And this bill is a direct response to a type of protest around issues which are existential issues, where the Secretary of State has been unwilling or unable to cope with what is the political fallout of the protest. Mm. We're in dark days, I think, but I I, I take a bit of hope from from Liam's passion and his suggestion that this is not going to stop acts of civil resistance. Estelle, what do you think will happen if the bill passes? You know, you've worked with frackers and, um, you know, people uh, resisting and locking on and protesting for years now. What what do you feel will happen? Do you think that we will just roll over and go away because we're all too frightened? Or do you think it will actually create, you know, we'll continue to resist and Fridays for the Future will continue to march and, and the Global Days of Actions will continue to happen? What's your What's your sense of how much impact this is going to have? I think there will be a continuation, but I think people will be dissuaded. So I imagine that numbers will fall. And I think people, to be fair, will rightly be dissuaded. We shouldn't be expecting young people to put their futures at risk, literally, um, in the way in which they take um, action to protect their futures as a result of climate impact. So the, the, the potential for um, imprisonment and serious, serious criminal offence as a result of common or garden methods of protesting, I think will give people pause. And in particular, will give certain sectors pause. You know, it's already difficult enough for the environmental movement to be properly inclusive. And I'm, you know, if I was a young black man, and I wanted to protest against climate change in the face of this bill, 
I would find that an even more difficult step to take. Mm. And it absolutely must not be the case in this country that the right to freedom of expression and the right to protest is a right that can only be accessed by the privileged or by those who are in a position in this country capable of sustaining being arrested um, or, or potentially being put in prison for exercising their rights. So, so what can we do? What can what can what can we do as citizens? What can listeners to, to Planet Pod do? I mean, you know. The bill is going through through the House of Lords. The amendments, you know, it's possible, as you said at the beginning, might be thrown out if enough lords vote against it. Um, you know, what, what, what actions can we take? I mean, that's the first thing. And I suppose the second question is, even if it goes through, will we be protected by the rule of law? I mean, I'm taking heart from the Coulson Four and the fact that they were, you know, that while well, they freely admitted criminal damage, they were actually acquitted. And, you know, will even if it goes through, will we be protected by our judicial system that understands that this is not a police state and you can't impose these draconian regulations on people? So there are a number of things that people can do. Um, absolutely, people should be writing to their MPs, should be writing to the members of the House of Lords, um, and should be participating in the, the sort of kill the bill um, political actions. And political action direct political action where you address your MP and you explain to your MP why it is that this is a matter that is important to you and is of concern to you, that does still have an impact. Not necessarily with every MP, but it does still have an impact. Voters still have power. So absolutely, um, you should be contacting your MP, you should be posting on social media, um, you should be, th there are actually going to be protests against the bill, which are going to be happening this week. And if you, and, and those are the sorts of things that you can, um, that, that you can join. Um, looking forward, if the bill does become law, um, then I think there will be a, a certain amount of organising in the face of that, um, in order to try and um, take various steps. Some of them will be testing the edges of the law. So Liam picked up this point, you know, just because a law is in place doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be used. And I imagine that if the law was passed and the new criminalisation was put in place, then there would be action to test the edges of how that's going to be used. And then if there were arrests, um, and there were prosecutions, then I imagine there will be defences that will be formulated. And you would hope um, that the rule of law would prevail. Um, I, I gave you an example with the Older Master Women's Peace Camp of where the Court of Appeal, not a progressive Court of Appeal necessarily, um, took the rule of law very carefully into account and recognised the importance of the right to freedom of expression and the right to protest. Um, and it may well be that if push came to shove, even with courts who who find some of these um, some aspects of this challenging, um, it it may well be that the rule of law would prevail. Um, I think it, it is interesting, and just to, to to mention one thing about the the Coulston Four, um, the what happened there with the with the jury verdict. There's, there's two important things to, to remember. The first is that although certain elements of the crime were admitted, key elements of causing criminal damage weren't actually admitted. Um, and in particular, there, um, there is also a defence 
where um, the the exercise of um, the the damage um, is essentially argued to be lawful, or the crime itself is is imposed in a disproportionate way. And there is a long history of putting that sort of defence to the jury and that being accepted potentially as a defence. And that would also be available, although there is some case law which might try and limit the extent to which you can say that you you necessarily undertook this action, um, which which led to your um, criminal prosecution and that being a defence. So there are ways in which um, I imagine lawyers and protesters together um, we'll seek to uh, to address this if the bill does become law. Yeah, I get the sense that you're not going to be put off and the cause of Insulate Britain is strong enough that, you know, you are asking, after all, for something that has been echoed in the Energy Efficiency Infrastructure Group just today by writing to the Prime Minister asking for to prioritise prioritize home improvements and save, you know, in excess of £7 billion a year, not to mention mention lives. So, so I should imagine you're not you're not going to go away and Insulate Britain is not going to go away anytime soon, despite this. Obviously, what they did in the end of Insulate Britain was used injunctions, which is, again, another quite interesting development that a private company, which is National Highways, have been instructed by a UK politician to to, to file this injunction. Um, and basically, Insulate Britain members are being imprisoned without a jury. And it's interesting that, you know, the Colston Four have just been uh, given not guilty with the jury. We had a DLR, um, I think it was seven people as part of an Extinction Rebellion action that just got a not guilty. Shell Six um, were given not guilty. Um, and, you know, I myself have been given not guilty by magistrate um, judges. Not, not a lot of times, but it's happened once or twice. And um, so it's interesting that, yeah, that, 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 that this is happening, um, which is, again, another um, interesting development as we go into the next few years. Yeah, I think Insulate Britain will carry on. We've got another committal trial in February the 1st, which I'm a part of. There is 19 people that could potentially be sent to prison um, because they've broken the injunction. Um and there are also there, there's there's potentially different campaigns using similar tactics um, that are also being created. So we'll hear more about them over the next sort of few months as well. Extinction Rebellion will continue. They're going to carry on in April. You know, so yes, yeah, so my belief is that because the political fallout from climate change and also you know the the economic system's been sort of like. Uh, held together on on matchsticks, isn't it? Um, from from the two thousand and eight crash that we had. You know what happened after the two thousand and eight crash was obviously in twenty eleven there was food spike rises around the world, and we saw in twenty eleven the Arab Spring, Occupy, all these things happen. So potentially, there's all kinds of um, things that are going to happen over the next few years that are going to um, create civil unrest. Um, so it's going to be an interesting time. It is going to be an interesting time. We could talk for the rest of the day, but but we but, but our listeners probably wouldn't stay with us for as long as that. But I mean, a huge thank you to you both, and uh, a really really serious and important topic to, for us to kick off a new season of Planet Pod. So I'm very grateful to you for making the time. And and as I would just echo your call, Estelle, to listeners, you know, write to your MP, lobby your MP, go out onto the streets while you still can, if you can, to make your your views known about the bill because this is pernicious, draconian legislation that we do not 
without need and is not in the spirit of, of, of the UK's long tradition of democracy and freedom. So that's my statement. And we'll probably all find ourselves arrested now because we've effectively, we've effectively uh, called for protest. So I hope I haven't put you two at danger. So huge thank you, Estelle, for, sh- for sharing your wisdom and thoughts with us. It's been fantastic to see you again. Oh, it's, it's been my pleasure, Amanda. And thank you for having uh, this programme on this really important topic. No, we were delighted. And, and to you, Liam, and good luck. And I'm sure we'll hear more about Insulate Britain and, and we wish you, you know, every success in everything that you do, particularly with the, the committal hearings coming up. So thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you too for Jim, our producer, and to Beth, the researcher, and who manages our social media. Do follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram. And if you like what you see, please rate the programme on iTunes and other networks. And if you can bear to, why not subscribe? And then we will just drop seamlessly onto your phone every episode. So thank you to my guests and thank you for listening and goodbye. Planet Pod is brought to you by Akil Management. My thanks to our producer, Jim Haywood, and our researcher, Beth Palmer. And to you, our listeners, without you, we'd be very lonely. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at planet underscore pod, or visit our website. Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you with ideas for future programmes. Thanks for listening.